755 is real with David O'Brien and Eric O'Flaherty. Welcome back to 755 is real. I'm David O'Brien, Braves writer for The Athletic. I'm with Eric O'Flaherty, former Braves reliever. How you doing, Eric? What's going on, man, out in Seattle? Same story. I'm good, though. I'm, I'm used to this um, I'm used to this isolation. Retired a year and a half ago, so I've been home already. <laughs> <laughs> Have you, uh, have, has your family so far avoided coronavirus? Yeah, I, we actually, me and my wife swear our son had it in, in um, late February, and, and it actually matched up with the timeline because he was he was really sick. But um, uh-huh. not, the rest of us were fine, so I don't I don't think so. But you never know, man. Uh, it's 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 kind of crazy out here. But we just got um, everything got stepped up another level last night. They they gave us a full stay home order, so we'll see we'll see if it works. Wow. Weird times. I guess that's the one, the one, the one good thing about living where you do, out in the lake, kind of isolated. You mean you don't, you spend days on end without even going anywhere, right? With your kids. Yeah. Well, you know, when when I retired, the the hardest thing was not being around the guys anymore. You know, I was spending. Yeah. I went from spending um, twelve hours a day with twenty four other guys that were just like me, and all yeah. my jokes were funny and. Everybody laughed at my stuff <laughs> to, to, to hanging out with a, a two-year-old, a five-year-old, and, and my wife that's worn out from them all day. And it's, I had to learn how to pull my weight. <laughs> and that's, I would imagine that that's the case when you talk to a lot of former players, right? The hardest part. I mean, I've heard, I've heard so many guys say they don't really miss uh, – the thing they miss the most – is the camaraderie with other guys, the clubhouse. That's actually what they miss more than anything else. They say. Oh, big time. And, you know, you're the weird thing about baseball is you make a lot of really close friends, but if you don't move to Arizona um, when you know, or if I would have moved to Atlanta, if you don't live in those yeah. places, your friends are kind of all spread out through the United States. So, I, I mean, my guy time went down about 98% uh, when I retired. I didn't yeah. really foresee yeah. that. And I didn't really, you know, I didn't really understand what um what an outlet baseball was for me and what a break from real life it was all the time. You're kind of just living in this fantasy land um, where no one really, there's no emotion. No one gets mad at you unless you suck at baseball. So you just handle that all the time. It's just one thing to worry about. Get out in the real world, man. It's, it's a totally different ball game. <laughs> <laughs> is, uh, do you think that's part of the reason so many guys, so many players end up living, uh, or is it just convenience? They've lived in Florida and Arizona during spring training before, and so they end up just staying there year-round. I mean, is it, is it both? Probably both, but you also you get used to um, you get used to leaving. If you're from a northern state, you get used to leaving uh, You know, late January and going to sunny weather. Yeah. So you kind of just have the holidays at home, and then – like for example, Seattle, it rains here from November or well, October until yeah. April, and I used to get to cut out on that. Wow. So I mean, every year, me and my wife are like, "This is our last winter. We're moving. We're getting out of here. We're done." And then you know, the sun comes out, and it's nicer, and you realize how beautiful right. it is. We want to stay, but it just kind of goes back and forth. Um, but I think I think that's a big part. You know, guys love to play golf, and and they have a ton of buddies usually in Arizona and Florida, so they just yeah. stick around there. Yeah. Did you happen to see? Uh... Speaking of perfect weather out there, did you happen to see the uh, replay yesterday of uh, King Felix's perfect game that they played on MLB Network? No, but I've watched that a few times. Yeah, in 2012, that was one of those gorgeous Seattle afternoons, man. Where, like the Braves had one of those when they were out there last time. It's Jekyll and Hyde when he was pitching. It's it's uh, like it's two different worlds. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I've been there during the winter and I've been there during the summer. You're right. It's uh, it couldn't be a, there's no prettier place during the summer, but it can be pretty dreary in the winter. In the well, I mean, the best way to look at it is it's so beautiful for about two two and a half months that people are willing to suffer for ten. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and we do. Well, you could say the same thing for Florida, man. Yeah, in my opinion. that's true. <laughs> Although those people love the, you know, they say they love the heat and all that year round, but. Man, it's only about three months where it's beautiful because it's too hot and humid the other nine, eight, nine months. But, and plus, you have Florida man and Florida woman down there. So, anyway. Florida's wild. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's different. I lived there for 13 and a half years, man. I never got used to it, but it was fun to be, it was a fun place to be uh, young and single, but I'd be dead if I'd have stayed down there. Yeah. Um, So here we are. Here we are. Still trying to fill time here for uh, with baseball on interminable and uh, uh, un. Well, we just we don't know when it's going to start. Basically, is what I, you know. We there's still no indication. There's no indication whatsoever from baseball, and, the, and how could there be? Because they don't know how long this is going to take. It's just such an unusual situation. You know, it's kind of like in a, in a totally. Uh, for a diff- totally different reason, but when before, like in '94, when the players went on, uh, when there was a strike and lockout, whatever, whatever you want to call it, was both. Um, no one knew how long that was going to last, you know. So they just banged the rest of the season, no playoffs, and then it kept creeping into the following year. So it went right into spring training. So so they had all the replacement players in there. So we still didn't know when baseball was going to start. And then one day, boom, it was over. So I mean. I don't think it's going to be abruptly ended this time like it was then, but it might be something like that where the players say, you know, where the, where the curve has been flattened uh, at least enough for, for people to calm their heads to prevail and uh, decide that, you know, it's time we can play now and it's be safe. And the players might just get a call and say, be it, be it uh, spring training, wherever that's going to be. Tomorrow we're starting. we got three weeks to get ready, so. It's going to be interesting to follow this thing, man, but it, it is just crazy how you really have no indication. I was talking to someone. I don't know. You've probably talked to people, but I was told by uh, someone who's a broadcaster with another team, what he's been hearing is July is a, is a, is a pretty good uh, estimate on when it might happen. Yeah, well, teams are going to worry. Thanks. Teams are going to worry about their guys' health, too, because I don't know if, how much you've been on social media, but I'm seeing some of the stuff that guys are doing to stay ready and I mean, it's it's not it's not pretty. Everybody's just making things up, throwing in their living room, doing random stuff, and there's so many things you yeah. just can't replicate um, movement on a baseball field, and you know, in your backyard, or it's it's just hard. It's hard to prepare. So I, yeah. I mean, they're going to need at least a month, whenever this is all yeah settled. Mark Shapiro from uh, from the from the Blue Jays said as much. Uh, I saw something he said yesterday. He said, uh, I'll read the exact same. I was thinking, though, when you said that about stuff on social media. Have, did you see the funny video of Tucker Davis and the Braves pitching prospect post? That happens all the time. <laughs> With those plyo balls, so they're throwing the ball. It happens like once a day if you throw those balls and you're that close. Tell people what happened. So, you hit your balls with the ball. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. if you haven't seen the video and you're listening, um, this guy, everybody does plyo throws now. It's it's a way to, not everybody does them, but a lot of players are, are switching to them, especially when you don't have a catch partner. It's a way to keep your arm loose. You can throw into a wall. And these balls don't bounce off the wall hard because they're only partially filled. So they're kind of flat. They hit the wall and they, they bounce off, you know, maybe like 30% of the velo you throw them with. Um, but 
you're lining up and you're trying to throw in the center of a wall that's five feet away from you, ten feet away from you, it's going to come back at you. And his happened to hit him in the nutsack. So, <laughs> but this happens. I mean, it happens a lot. I initially thought it was a joke, and then I and then I realized no, it's not, he actually he wasn't trying to do nope, that. Nope, and it hurts. <laughs> you're not you're not gonna wear a cup just to throw off a wall. So yeah, break for him exactly. Yeah. Hey, how many pitchers wear how many pitchers wear cups? By the way, I didn't during a game. A lot. I didn't. Man, I didn't, and I got I got a out. line drive from Shinsu Chu um, that hit me three inches away yeah. from where it matters, and. The umpire came out. I think it was Gary Cedarstrom. He came out and he just said, uh, "You're wearing a cup, right?" And I said, "No." And he just walked away. <laughs> he didn't say another word. Uh, but the crazy thing was, so it was a fastball in, and, and it was a line drive right back off me, and it bounced to shortstop, and Simba made the play. He came flying in, and he changed directions, came flying in, barehanded it, and threw it threw the guy out. I was like, everybody's worried about me. I was just, I mean. I was glad I wasn't hurt, but it's just, it's crazy, man. It's, I don't know why I never wore one. I had a teammate that had gotten line yeah. drived and, and lost half of his uh, sack. And uh-huh. he, um, <laughs> one of his, yeah, one, he lost one it, completely. <laughs> and he wore a cup every day and he was always mad at me. I didn't, but I just, I, I didn't feel comfortable in it. So I just chanced it. You know, I, I th- guy, you hear that from guys who didn't, and then it, it takes getting hit there to change their ways. And then because Dansby, same thing happened to him. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, his, his rookie year, I think it was. At shortstop, he got hit with a. He got. He did not wear no one. No way. He did after that. I think <laughs> he got hit. See, I think you know, as a pitcher, you're closer, so maybe the risk is higher. You know, the damage could be worse. But shortstop, I mean, you're fielding balls all day long in practice. Yeah. Yeah, in the game, and up. you get the 110 mile an hour ground balls coming at you, and you have to get in front of it. Yeah. Pitchers, kind of, you're turning. That was another reason I didn't really wear one because I was always kind of spinning, flailing all over the place after I threw it. You know, I was kind of turned. Uh-huh. Most of the time when I got line drived, it hit me in the butt because of how I how I turned after I threw it. But man, a shortstop not wearing it's crazy. You uh, and for a pitcher, the guys who don't wear them obviously it's because of comfort, right? I and mean, they're maybe a little bit uncomfortable with your motions that you, you know, with your delivery, <laughs> yeah. unless you're used so to it. Stu- it'd probably take a week to get used to. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah I never did. Yeah. It. yeah. And I got yeah, two kids running a, around the house right now screaming. So, you know, not, not wearing a cup, <laughs> not wearing a cup. That's uh that's nuts, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or not wearing a cup, man. That's pretty ballsy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're hot today, Dave. <laughs> what else you got? <laughs> oh, man. That's it, man. Thanks for listening, folks. <laughs> yeah, let's shut this thing down. No, but uh, uh, but get it back. Mark Shapiro. Mark, uh, uh, I, always, I always forget whether it's Shapiro or Shapiro. It's Shapiro. He said, uh, Blue Jays president, he said, knowing that so many players – are not even having any access to throwing at all or hitting at all, but most importantly, just throwing and probably limited access to just training and exercise. It's hard to imagine we could get ready in less than four weeks. Uh, Cautioning that training camps aren't likely to reopen for some time yet. He said, I do think that we're by and large waiting for some sort of flattening of the curve and recognition that we have done our best to limit the strain on the healthcare system and the economic system, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
said until that time, the exact outcome and impact on our schedule and all the corresponding business that cascades off of that really can't be determined. He said, it certainly looks like we are not dealing with days and likely not weeks, but closer to months. Uh, this was on Sunday. He said uh, he thought that that uh, negotiations between the MLB and the Players Union on industry-wide plan to compensate players for missed games would probably conclude in the next day or two. Um, they've got, he said, they've got three uh, MLB players at their camp in Dunedin at spring training. South Korean pitcher Ryu from the Dodgers, uh, Japanese pitcher Yamaguchi, and a right-hander Rafael Dolas from the Dominican. And Shapiro said those three did not have any place to go. You know, as you know, you can't just hop on a plane and go back to certain Latin American countries or any and 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 know that you're guaranteed to be able to come back when That's they true. need you. So, so if you don't have a place over here, man. To stay, staying at camp is the only feasible thing unless you want to go ahead and splurge on short notice, buy a place or rent a place and somebody have have somebody gouge you, you know, in the city you're For going sure. to. So, Well, and the, the thing is, is it's it's not the same, the throwing and, and everything like that. Like even throwing against the wall, um, yeah. a big problem guys make is they do throw right into the center of it. But the angle, you know, the ball's coming from, say, three feet away from your head. And so that angle, if you think of like a 30-degree angle from your arm to the plate, when you throw at the center of that wall, you're throwing more at like a 50, 60-degree angle to hit the center of a wall that's closer uh-huh. to you. Uh-huh. So by the time guys start trying to stretch back out, they've built this habit of uh, pulling the ball and kind of cross-firing. So you really can't yeah. even expect anybody that's thrown into a wall or a net or anything close. I mean, you got to give guys a chance yeah. to throw like 120, 130 feet. And that was one of the big problems for me living up in Seattle because it was always raining. I didn't have a lot of friends here. All my friends were, you know, already down in Georgia or, or Florida. Yeah. Um, but I could never find a catch partner to, to throw with consistently, and the weather didn't cooperate. So I would always just get down to Arizona or Florida early to try to stretch my arm out um, because it's it's not that productive to just throw blindly into a into a close um, target. Um, so, yeah. yeah, the pitchers – and the thing is, is if, if you're not – especially guys that don't have a lot of money saved up, they got to go home. And if you're from up north, um, you know, even if you're living at your parents' house, like your dad can't catch a two-seamer. <laughs> if he's, yeah. You know, if he's in his 70s <laughs> yeah, yeah, or 60s, it's just that most guys are going to be really, I mean, just grinding to somewhat stay ready, but they're going to need three to four weeks. You can't throw bullpens. Uh, yeah. You know, here we're on lockdown. You, you yeah. can't be at a park hanging out and doing things like that. Exactly. So it's just, it wouldn't be fair to the guys that um, – that don't have good setup to, to set it like, Hey, we got to be ready in two and a half weeks. The, uh, they're having, uh, for those who've wandered, there's, there's only two Braves stayed at camp in Northport. Both were non, were minor leaguers off the, not guys on the 40, both Venezuelan guys. And you can imagine where that would, (laughs) if you're a Venezuelan minor leaguer, you're not flying home to Venezuela, you know? Well, it's visa uh, problems for too, right? Reasons. I mean, you, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But you're not every, yeah, you're not going back down there and then and expecting to come back up here. Every off season, I'm guys sure have trouble getting over anyway. There's always yeah. two or three guys that are late to camp because of passport and visa problems. I don't know if that'd be accelerated if they'd already been over here and had it and had to go home. But the flight's expensive too. It, the minor league guys are the guys yeah. that are just I don't even know what they're doing because. You know, if you're in the big leagues, even if you played a couple months in the big leagues last year, you probably got a hundred grand saved up, and you can weather this thing. But yeah. the minor league guys, man, that they're living paycheck to paycheck, 
and they're doing it by living with four other guys in a you know one yeah. bedroom apartment i don't know what these guys are i have no clue what i would do if i was in their shoes and hoping one of them doesn't get the coronavirus yeah i mean it's just it's ugly man and uh you know, I was also thinking about yeah, the minor leaguers have it worst, obviously, and that's what they're trying to discuss now. The player that you know they've talked about at least giving them their that what they would have gotten, which is only a per diem up until you know the minor league seasons would have started. But then, if those seasons don't start, then what happens then? So that's stuff that's still to be negotiated. But I mean, they're not you know represented by the union, as you know, right? So they don't have the union fighting for them. And then the other guys I was thinking about, you know, that are really screwed. Is those guys, those six-year free agent guys that might have been in camp hoping to win a spot on the opening day roster, thinking they had a good shot? Like Felix. Well, what if you don't know? If you, yeah, he's not screwed. Yeah. He's made a hundred million or something like that. But he's right, exactly. But a guy like say, you know, Josh Tomlin, he's made some money too. But are you going to go ahead and get a spot? If you, I guess if you have a, you have a home where you came from. But if you're one of those guys that's living on the fringes and still bouncing around from team to team, maybe you don't have a family yet and you're not settled down. You, what would you do? You wouldn't buy a place or rent a place in the new city, just assuming you were going to be on the forty man roster. You know, uh, uh, you know the Braves have it better better in that regard than most teams. In that Gwinnett yeah, is so that's close awesome. that that if you know you're going to be on one of those teams, which most of those guys know that are on the fringes, yeah. there they're going to be on one of those teams. You could get a place, you know, equidistance or somewhere up around the perimeter, and not be you know more than a half hour from each place. So yeah, but we're, you're going to have, have a little better. Than not are they going to have if they had a spring training type of thing? Would they do it? They do it in Arizona, or would they do it in each team city? That that remains to be seen. They could be back in there. You mean in Florida and Arizona? Yeah, yeah, Florida, Arizona. They would not. Right. I, that remains to be seen. Uh, when the strike ended in '95, they they did it at their regular spring training sites, but they had not started spring training and then Finished broke it, it off yeah. and then returned. Yeah, they so so it's a little little different. But you know, I you you wonder, I guess part of that maybe is where maybe it'll vary from team to team and then where you're starting the season and that kind of thing. Say if you're starting a season at home with a new schedule, uh you might just and, and you might want to just trim the you know, make your what amounts to all but your very last cuts and have, say, 30 guys come to your ballpark and play the last, you know, and do the last three or four weeks of spring training and then start at home rather than have everybody reconvene down in Florida from all over the place. You know, you such but, a mess. But even then, you're going to want to have your minor, you're going to have your minor leaguers, are going, you're going to need them back down there. Well, their spring training know? starts later, too. So they got even maybe right, like two right. weeks of games in, not even. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it is a mess. It's a mess for sure. Um, and the longer it drags out, the more of a mess it is because the reason you said, I mean, if guys aren't, aren't pitching, aren't throwing, aren't aren't doing much of anything for, say, three months, you got to think it's going to take a month of spring training and not just like two or three weeks. <laughs> yeah. You know, at least a month. But so, yeah, it's – it's uh, but July, that was what I heard from a pretty reputable story. I mean, a guy that was a former player who was a broadcaster and he had heard this from another team. So, but I don't know, man. I got former players asking me, what do you hear? I'm like, I don't hear anything. <laughs> nobody. Man. It's like, we're not hearing anything. It's so un- nobody knows right it's now. It's so unheard of. You know, it's it's something that nobody that I was wondering, you know, like the right. TV deals are big. Um if say if the oh, team's yeah. making forty million a year in a TV deal and you pay fifteen games, I I mean, I wonder if there's some kind of clause for natural disaster in there where teams all of a sudden have actually don't have any money. You know, they have a they have a lot you know, less than they're expecting. Well, 
Right. Once it was declared a national emergency, I think it changed a lot of the, the footing on those things yeah. for legal reasons. But obviously, you know, your broadcast partner's not going to want to screw the team uh, or vice versa. You know, they had, you want to have a good relationship in those things. So it just involves – everything involves negotiations, man. Uh, there's just no easy – there's no good answers. Everybody's going to end up losing money out of this yeah. thing. I saw where the NBA said that it could they could lose a billion dollars. Yeah, you know, and they're planning to resume the season. So I don't know what baseball's going to lose, man. Yeah, I saw they were. It's got to be more. It's got to be a lot more than that. No, it's it's a lot. I mean, it's it's 162 games. <laughs> you know, yeah. Every... And if you lose, say a, f- a third of them. Yeah. NBA, if the NBA is losing what 20 games max. Right, and they. And it's not for sure that they're even going to lose right. it because they might resume the season and play it out. Who knows? You know, they play indoors and they, and, you know, in arenas that unless you unless they share with a hockey hockey team, you know, and, and in which case they do that in the winter anyway. They can still sp- make the schedule work. You know, even if they resume their schedule in NHL. In other words, you know, I mean, they have concerts and all that lined up, so it's not easy. But if they, it'd be easier for them to to play, you know, a lot longer than it is for baseball to play into uh, December, can't. which <laughs> half the league can't in December. Well, yeah. So that's what I wanted to discuss with you. But for, first, uh, I wanted to, some people were asking about seasons that have been shortened and it's not hard to go through them because there hasn't been many. It's pretty obvious. This one's going to be shortened. And I think it's going to be shortened by a lot, not 10 or 20 games. I think it's going to be, if they can get in a hundred games, I think they'll be fortunate. And I think they'd take that, but we'll see. But it, it's uh, assuming there is a season, it might be the shortest season in MLB history. The only previous times the season has been shortened in more than a century of, ba- of Major League Baseball. 1918, because of World War One, teams played between 126 and 128 games after initially planning to play a reduced schedule of 140 games. That was back when the regular schedule was 154 games. Now it's 162. It has been for a long time. But it was 154. They were going to cut it to 140. But they started playing. And then on July 1st, the government, the War Department, decreed that by that uh, all draft-eligible men in non-essential occupations must apply for work directly related to the war effort or risk being called in military service. So baseball owners tried to get an exemption. The government wasn't buying it. So they ended the season early. They stopped playing on September 2nd, and the World Series was September 5th to 11th. Uh, 1919, the war ended that November. The following se- the war ended in 1918, November. The, war- the following season, 1919, was also shortened to 140 games because teams were waiting for their players to return from military service. The season started April 23rd to 25th. Even during, to, to give you some idea of how unprecedented this is even during world war ii in the 1940s when a lot of major league players were fighting in the war full seasons were still played with a lot of younger and older players filling out rosters that's why you see these pictures and hear these stories of these really you know these 17 18 year old kids playing yeah and uh and these older men and these older men playing and a lot of minor league guys that would have been in indie leagues minor leagues were also on the rosters yeah, I love when people they say they criticize the talent level from from certain eras. It's like, yeah, those guys were going to war in the off season. You've been <laughs> you've been training, you've been doing squats and eating protein shakes for for six months. Of course, you throw harder. 
it's I mean you think look back at I it, can't imagine guys doing like that. Ted Williams that lost like three seasons in their prime to to the war. God, that's crazy. You wonder what the record books would look like now. They would be different. That's crazy to to even think about you know going through something like that and then trying to take baseball serious. Yeah, you know, yeah. What a different world. Yeah, Ted Williams. Ted Williams was like supposedly one of the greatest, if not the greatest, fighter pilot. I mean, he was, you know, that 2015 vision of his translated over to being a fighter pilot as well. So that's wild. Yeah, the next was, yeah, the next was 72. There wasn't another shortened season until 1972. And this one's kind of relevant in the current discussion because of what happened as a result and the way it was totally uh, ham-fisted, handled by Bowie Kuhn the commissioner. The first two weeks of the 72 season were erased by MLB's first ever player strike. That was over a disagreement involving player pensions, which they wanted to increase due to inflation. They fought with the owners about that. The players won. The owners folded after just 13 days, but it caused the loss of 85 games total because there were so few teams there by comparison. Why did it cost 85 85 games? Total for all the teams. Oh, I got you. No, got all you. third. Uh, all the, yeah, because there were a lot fewer teams. Okay. Than, yeah, there were a lot fewer teams then. They have they had the built-in rainout days and stuff. You know, in the first part of the season, so there were only eighty-five games lost. Um, those games weren't made up, and that's where the problems started because of the differing number of off days that certain teams had during those first thirteen days of the season that were canceled. They simply picked up the schedule where it would have been. Right? So some teams ended up playing fewer games than others. There was a lot of debate about handle about how to handle that disparity, and the owners and players couldn't agree on, on how to compensate players for the time missed for changes in the schedule that would lead to fewer off days and more doubleheaders. They couldn't agree on it. So Bowie Kuhn did nothing. He just opened the season on April 15th. The teams picked up where they would have in the existing schedules, and it created a mess in the AL East because Detroit and Boston were wire to wire. They had a race. Both teams lost 70 games, but the Tigers won the division by a half game by finishing 86 and 70 to Boston's 85 and 70. (laughs) Can you imagine in this day and age of social media, how that would be? (laughs) Especially Boston. (laughs) Yes. To this day though, there are Red Sox fans, older ones that are, that are pissed at the way Bowie Kuhn handled that. I don't know the answer there. Yeah, <laughs> it's the other thing I was thinking is is the the players, you know, because you're saying their salaries and stuff. I don't I don't know what they're going to do in this in this situation. I'm guessing if you play yeah. if it's a 60 game season and you play the whole 60 game season, that counts as a full year. But service wise and whatnot, I mean, it's it's just so much that there's yeah. no it's never been done before. You can see why it's taking as yeah. long as it is for them to for these negotiations. I'm surprised they're even expecting to get them over with that that soon. But they, I think they've been meeting, you know, every day for hours and, and hours. And they have time. So, um, yes, they do. But you can be assured that there that, that that situation that season has been discussed in these current negotiations yeah. with the with the owners and the union on what to do with the schedules if a bunch of games are lost. You got to play an equal amount be. of games. You have to. Yep. So. 1981, the next time, another player strike. Again, this time after owners demanded that teams <laughs> get this demand that owners made. They said that teams, because free agency just came about, they said 
teams who lost a player to free agency should get a compensatory draft pick from the signing team and a player off the roster of the signing team. (laughs) Jesus. Of their choice? Or you get a pick? Who got to pick that player? Uh, Well, the players would have never agreed to it, obviously. They walked out after after the June 11th games. They walked out. And a play did not resume until August 10th. So each team lost about 107 games. Yeah. If that was the rule, the Angels wouldn't sign a single free agent ever. You lose Mike Trout. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, if they get their pick. Hey, good job signing hey, Mookie they, Betts. Hey, We're taking gotta, Mike Trout. Hey, what, what were you supposed to do? Rank your players? You can take one for the bottom five here? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, okay, so so they lost 107 games in the heart of the season, the middle of the summer. Man, that's a lot of revenues. When school's out? Yeah. Ooh, imagine that happening, right? So – since the All-Star game was scheduled for a day in the middle of that strike, obviously, they rescheduled the All-Star game for August 9th, and it became kind of the kickoff opening day for the second half of the season, which started on August 10th. So this time, MLB reworked the entire the standings and the postseason, thinking that this would be a better option than what had happened in 72 when the Red Sox got screwed. So what they did this time, I'll give them. I'll give them credit. They they did try to be creative, but what they did backfired too. And I was talking to Dale Murphy this weekend about something unrelated to this, and he didn't even remember this is what happened. But this is what happened. I guess because the Braves were so far out of it, it didn't matter. But here's what they did: they di- they divided the season in halves. They declared a division champ for each half, right? Yeah. Because there's only two divisions in each in each league at that time, so they declared a division cha- division champ for each half whoever finished first in each half, they had those teams meet in a division series, best of five, to determine who would play in the LCS. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I get it. So I guess if if one team had won both halves, they wouldn't have had to play it. Straight but it, to it. as it turned out, no team won in, in either of the four divisions, won both halves. So, so here's what happened. In the AL East, the Yankees won the first half. The Brewers won the second half. Yankees beat the Brewers in a best of five to advance to play the uh, the A's in the LCS. The A's had won the first half in the West. Royals won the second half, so they met in that side. A's beat the Yankees to advance the World Series. Okay, the Orioles had the same number of wins but two fewer losses due to an uneven number of games played. They didn't even get to go. Man. Because they didn't win either half. The Tigers had one more win. <laughs> Than both the Yankees and the Orioles, the Orioles and Tigers did still didn't make the expanded postseason field. Well, that's why it gets so tricky okay. though, because a shorter season. Yeah, you know we've we've talked about it on here before, but there's plenty of times when I was with the Braves that the Marlins were in first place in mid-May. That's 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 yep. roughly 45, yep. 40, 45 games in. You know, a big league yeah. season needs a lot of time for that for that best team to to show up. Like you yeah. know, Nationals wouldn't even probably made the playoffs last year. So it's it's gonna yeah. get it's gonna get crazy. I mean, you could it's it might be good for the game, man. You might see some crazy, some team that there will be an, there will be urgency. See a rebuilding team make the playoffs if, they, if they're hot. There will be urgency. There will be urgency yeah. for sure. Like last year, the Mariners started like thirteen and two or something like that. Yeah, you know, one of those teams if they have a smart veteran on it. I don't know if like uh, let's see, I'm talking to the Marlins. Well, I don't know. Does Matt Kemp? Qualifies yeah. smart value. Yeah, he's but if the he man. Gets, if, he can, if he can convince those guys that, hey, 
we're not good enough to hang with these things for 160, but we can do it for 100 games. Let's go. Let's go, dude. You're not taking offense to that either. You know, if, if you're in one of those clubhouses, you're going to take that serious. Because yeah. if, especially if a veteran is saying that and you kind of got a few points to back it up and a guy says like, hey, we can yeah. legitimately go to the playoffs this year, guys. Let's let's show out. You know, let's let's see what happens. It, you never know. Yeah. Think of how many players on that team, that Marlins team, will be making a major league minimum or just above it. He'll be making less than 600000 yeah. When Matt Kemp tells them what a playoff share is, for those who aren't aware, oh, you you win like a playoff series, If you your share might be more than half your salary. They go like – it's usually like you get like 10 for the wild card game and then you're going to get 20 to 30 for the first round. And then once you get past the first round, it's like 100 and then if you go to the World Series, you're getting 200. If you win it, you're getting 300. It's more now. It's it's probably it's, it's more like now 400, 450 now. But it, it, yeah, it's more than 300 if you just go to the World Series. If you lose it, yeah, it's it's probably 300 if you lose it, and and 450 if you win it. But those guys, yeah, if, and that, that's the that's the thing, man. Is you if you're making a roster for the first time, you also don't you don't know enough about the league to know you don't stand a chance over 162, but. If you got a chance, yeah. if you got yeah. a chance in, yeah. in a 40, 50 game season, especially if they did first and second half winners, which they might not, because yeah. oh. you said the <laughs> Orioles won the most games and didn't make the playoffs. It, I don't, I think that would ca- kind of cancel it out. Yeah. But if all you had to do was win, be the best team for like 28 yeah. games, every team's in the mix. That would make it interesting, wouldn't uh, it? Wouldn't that make it interesting? Though? I can't wait to watch that because you're, you could have the Dodgers miss the playoffs, and is, the Giants get hot, and yeah. The, That'd be fun. All you all you'd have to do all you'd have to do is be really good for about fifty games. I've thought for a long time it'd be amazing to watch a sixteen game MLB season. <laughs> you know, just play every Sunday like the NFL, because baseball's so unpredictable. You'd never know who to pick for the playoffs. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tuck shops that shall not be named. Not fast. Not efficient. Go elsewhere. This place is terrible. Unless you want to dress like a grandpa. We felt pretty weird buying a suit from some guy having the worst day of his life. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we walked out of there went straight to Black Tux. Can't blame you. What I love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it out one last time. Talk about commitment. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with the code BRAVES. That's theblacktux.com, code BRAVES for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. (laughs) Uh, okay, so going back to that though, though that year that say the Orioles and the Tigers got screwed, they didn't get screwed nearly as bad as what happened in the NL that year. So get this: Phillies and Expos won the two halves in the East. The Dodgers and the Astros won the two halves in the West. 
Again, this is, uh, what did I say, 1981, right? 1981. Yeah. Yeah, this is 1981. All right. So, so those, uh, uh, let's see. Phillies Expos wanted to have some in the East. Dodgers and Astros wanted them in the West. Meanwhile, the two teams with the best records in the NL, Cincinnati Reds and the St. Louis Cardinals, did not win the division either half. So they, the two teams with the best records in the Stupid. league did not go to the playoffs. They won't do it then. And get this. You can't risk that. Get this, though. Not only that, the Reds finished second in each half and had a 66-42 and 42 record. It was the best in the majors. Didn't make it. They had the best record in the majors, and they did not get to go. They were not one of the eight teams that went to the playoffs. Oh, man. Yeah, they still. I think they still do that in the minor leagues. You get a first half and a second half chance. Yeah. But yeah. I, I don't, at least at some levels. You don't want to. Is that at all levels? I know uh, they do it. A some. ball, I know they do. Um, yeah. God, that'd be. You wouldn't want to hear the, the outrage over that. You got to do. Oh, can you imagine? No, I can't. You could let more teams. <laughs> if, if the Dodgers won the most games but somehow didn't make the playoffs, or, or the Yankees did that, or, or, or Boston, or some team in a major <laughs> big market, it would just be. It'd be kind of funny, but I don't. It'd be great if the Astros, if they did it this year, and the Astros had the best record <laughs> and got left out. It would be an Astros. It would be an Astros thing for this twelve-month cycle, wouldn't it? Yeah, it'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah, that whole thing died down. So the down Cardinals, quick. yeah. They, oh my God, I know the Cardinals are going. Thank you, thank you, God. The Astros. I mean, geez, yeah. man. Yeah. 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 What did I Cardinals. say? Cardinals. Cardinals. Yeah, the Astros. The Astros. Yeah. Well, the Cardinals too. <laughs> the Cardinals had the second best record in the NL. That's what was on my mind. They were 59 and 43 that year, and they were also left out. So there's one more system we can rest assured they will not be using this year no when they chance. decide on what. <laughs> Nobody's going for that. Uh, so anyway, next one, next shortened season was not was a not didn't have to wait long. 1985, but it was a two day player strike in August related to the pension fund, cap salary arbitration. Games were missed, were made up. No big deal. 1990, brief lockout, beginning of the season. Union and ownership agree, uh, argued over free agency, arbitration, and revenue sharing. Season started a week late, but again, the full schedule was played. They tacked on three days to the end of the regular season. And then we come to 94-95. This is when I started covering baseball, when it strike ended in 95. And it was also when Chipper's first full season in his first uh, – uh, and so we were talking then when he was on the podcast last week about that spring training in 95 when the replacement players. So what happened in what, 94, there were bitter negotiations over the CBA. Uh, no resolution could be reached. They were arguing during the season. Season ended erupt- abruptly after the August 11th games. The strike ended the next day. Expos actually led the Braves in the NL East at that point, but no division winners was declared. And that's what kept the Braves streak alive, which would go all the way to 14, you know, in the mid-2000s. Yeah. 14, unprecedented in any sport. But if they had declared a winner, the Expos would have gotten it that year. So, for the first time since 1904, there was no World Series played that year. That's – wow. The owners – yeah. Owners and players fought all through the winter and the following spring. It went into the following spring. So, they brought in the replacement players. The owners thought – People would just want to see baseball. They'll buy this. We'll bring in replacement players, and you know, like the NFL did briefly. Yeah. <laughs> and it was a disaster. It was terrible baseball. 
Terrible. I don't know. Do you were you old enough to you weren't old I didn't. Enough to I didn't. Re- I was ten, so I didn't, I didn't really remember it. But yeah, I, I still. Right. I'll tell you what. If you were a replacement player, um, those yeah. guys, there's there's still the coaches staffs are, cha- are getting a little younger and and different. But any coach that was yeah. um, uh, uh, on strike at that time and another guy crossed the line, if yes. you they call you a scab. If you were a scab in baseball, yes. man, there was coaches. 20, 30, or 20 years later, so like, you know, t- 2015, there were still coaches that hated anybody that crossed the line. And, and some of them got, a lot of guys, a lot of scabs got jobs in baseball because um, they were good baseball people, you know, doing different jobs. But there'd be yes. another coach on the staff that wouldn't even talk to him. Or, you know, like, say say one guy was an A-ball coach, another guy was a triple-A coach. He wouldn't even speak to him <laughs> to 15, 20 years later. It was, it was not taken hey. lightly to cross that line. You are... Not kidding. I've I've had, had personally witnessed that, and and it hasn't ended because if you think about it, a lot of those players that were playing then are now coaches, right? And I had Terry Pendleton. Oh uh, yeah, was T- bitter. T- he about is the guy that I mean, you, you, he's the type of guy that that just he he would never let that go. Well, and and yeah. he's a badass baseball man, <laughs> and you know. So if yep. you were a coach in the Braves organization, um, and you had crossed the line, I would hate to ever even. I wouldn't even look at T. I'd avoid him at all costs because he would never drop it. You know, they viewed it the the guys that were strong union guys, which were most of the guys back then. They viewed it as you're taking money out of my pocket. You're taking money from my family. You're threatening my livelihood yeah. by crossing that picket line. Because what if the owners had said, "Screw it, we're going with replacement players this season." You know, uh, so yeah, they're bitter about it. And I had he was talking to me, uh, Kevin Millar. I love Kevin Millar. I covered him with the uh, with the uh, Marlins when he first came up, when he was a twenty six year old rookie or whatever. But Kevin Millar bounced around the minors for a long time, and he was one of those guys that had to make that had to really make a tough decision. He thought he was at the end of the line in his career in baseball. That's when the strike happened. He's one of those guys that decided. I got to do this. He crossed the line, and he, he was a replacement player. Yeah, he's he's a rare guy that somehow um, put it behind him, and it's not talked about a lot. Yeah, you know, yeah, because it the it's not. It, he's had a pretty good um, he's had a pretty good career, and he's doing MLB Network now. But exactly, it's it's he's, crazy he's doing he, that. But I think you had to have a unique personality. A guy like Kevin Millar does. who gets along with everybody, everybody. likes him. So. So if nobody brought it up, I'm sure most people aren't even aware, you know? And like I said, I love Kevin Moore, and I don't want anybody, you know, I hope that this doesn't get back to it. It doesn't matter. We're not talking shit. It's no secret. Yeah, it's no secret. It's something that happened. He did it, you know? You understand his position or or you don't, but we can talk about it. He he crossed the line. And there's probably, you know, there's a lot of guys in the game that that probably wouldn't do an MLB Network interview with him or all kinds of other stuff just because of that. Yeah, and and you got to look and, and look at a case by case basis because I mean, while I can fully understand uh, union guys being pissed at those players across the line, I can also understand they were never in the position that some of those guys were in who thought they literally they're in, when this strike is over. I'm going home anyway. I'm not gonna. Uh-huh, I'm not gonna have a job during this strike. Yeah, there's not gonna be a minor league season. This is the only way I'm gonna make some money and. You know, I'll, I can't worry about a future major league career when you're in your 20s, your mid 20s already, and you haven't gotten a chance. So, 
you know, it was case by case basis. But there was you know, how many guys in guys had kids. How many guys in those same shoes still stayed on strike? You know, that'd be the other that'd be the argument for the other side of it. Of there was guys that were in those exact same position and worried about their livelihood and the future of their career, and and still didn't do it. Yeah. You know, still didn't cross the line. Yep, yep. I like to. I would like to think that I would be one of those strong union guys because I mean I understand how important they are uh, unions in general. But anyway, um, so this stretched into uh, the following spring litigation. Uh, finally ended uh, the strike. Owners lost in litigation badly. And neither side handled it well, but the owners lost in litigation. The strike ended April 2nd. Replacement players who had played a lot of awful spring training games that year uh, to that point were booted. And the real players arrived. They got they got the call literally and said, be there tomorrow. Camp's opening tomorrow. And I remember because I had uh, I had agreed to to move over from covering NFL to covering baseball, and my paper in uh, Fort Lauderdale told me they didn't want me to start till the strike ended. We had my, our other guy was covering it, uh, who was playing the beat with me. He'd covered it until then. Said there's no reason to go down. You'd meet all these replacement players and all this because it's not going to last. So when it's when it's over, be ready. They told me literally like five o'clock one day. We need you there tomorrow. The strike's over, and the players got the same thing. They were told, be there at camp tomorrow. So they're flying in, driving in from all over, you know. And Chipper said, I had to be there the next day. And he re- remembers it only being about two weeks they had to get ready. The season started like three weeks later. Yeah, I think it is going to have to be. I mean, I keep saying a month and so, but I think it, it, there's a situation where it could have to be pretty accelerated. And if you're not ready, you're not ready. And, and you know, it's kind of on you right now to stay ready. But it just it depends on what they come up with what they decide to do because it's it's not easy to get ready and back into you can't replicate the game speed but there's also there's only so much time and you know if you're if you're july then you're looking at playing a maximum of maybe 90 games or maybe you play one 110 but i'm I'm thinking it's going to be 60 60 something for the season yeah me too um so I guess the the difference would be that those players that year could get together for workouts and all that, and I'm oh, sure yeah, you know I point. remember they did. You know, the, you know the the, the whole uh, coronavirus thing that wasn't hanging over anybody's head. They could not. They were locked out of their own obviously lockout. They were locked out of their own facilities. They could not work out there, but players could get together, and they did. Uh, Dale uh, Murphy said during during a strike one time, they were. Uh, uh, must have been the uh, 81 they were a bunch of his guys went up to like they would working out at, in a high school in Cobb County that kind of thing yeah. so you know yeah this is different for the, from that the aspect players, yeah and but the players had not gotten together that had that strike started in the middle of the season so the players were already living here yeah. you know living in their city so but they could work out together and have organized workouts uh, you- but at the same time this year's the teams had been together for four weeks. Yeah. So, do you remember a few? I don't know how much of that carries like over at all. Two or three years. The the problem, I guess, is that you can't um, you can't be it, you have to be spread out. You know, you can't be by people. You have to kind of yeah isolate. That makes it really hard. Yeah. That this is different than a normal and you strike. You can't maintain it, right? I don't think so. And you can't maintain I don't it, think right? So. What you what you had done for four weeks? Unless you you, you got to have a catcher, that. and then you got to face hitters, and you have to be there's an intensity yeah. when the hitter gets in the box that you just you can't fake in your head. You can't you can't just decide you're going to have adrenaline today, uh, throwing yeah. throwing into a wall in your backyard. Uh, it's just not possible. But there was I think there was probably like two or three years ago there was kind of that free agent freeze out, um, and the union tried to set up a camp down in Florida, and a lot of guys didn't want to go. 
Yeah. I can't remember what year it was, but you know, there's. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, but yeah, it was the IMG Academy. They had none right, of the good players ended right, up going. Yeah, but that was a different situation than this. You know, it's this yeah. is really weird because the the not being able to work out with other guys and having to be distanced from everybody makes it. It's almost like you're starting your whole season over if this lasts more than three weeks. You know, I mean, yeah. you, when you're in the off season, you're only throwing. You're not off the. You can be off the mound, but a lot of guys aren't even going to be able to get off the mound for for quite a while. Do you think uh, the the drastic uh, uh, improvement in equipment, um, and I'm talking about like the stuff they use at driveline, and also especially for uh, hitting machines, are so much better now than they were 20 years ago or even 10 years ago with the uh, velo. Guys can get in a in a in a, in a face a hitting machine, a pitching machine that's throwing a hundred plus, and they can also put it on curveball and all that. Obviously it's not replicating. It's not the same, but it's got to be better than it was 20 years ago, right? It's better than nothing, but like driveline's getting shut down right now. Yeah. You don't have Washington. That's the whole thing is it, it, the reason players got so much better the last 15 years physically is because of things like that. The, the off seasons they were putting in, but you can't put that work in right now because you're stuck at home. You know, you can only do so much in yeah. your living room yeah. if you're doing push-ups and sit-ups and throwing into a wall. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're not even close to ready. But it might just have to be one of those situations where it's like, hey, we're all going to suck the first month, but we got to get this season in. And you yeah, kind of just take what, it into account yeah. when you're looking at everybody's numbers that it's kind of just a crapshoot um, what everybody's preparation was. I know if I'm a hitter, you're one of those guys, because I know a lot of guys, especially who have money, have nice batting cages yeah. at their houses. Those guys are fortunate right now. Because I'm, if I'm a hitter, I'm in there every day. You yeah, know? but who's throwing them BP? You know, a six-year-old? Or their wife? No, no, I'm talking about, no, I'm talking about with a pitch. Oh, with a machine, with a machine. yeah. A machine's different. You know, it's there's no timing to it. It's just the ball just pops right. out of a machine. It's right. There's no different angles. Right. You can only replicate so much. It's definitely better yeah. than what some of the minor league guys are probably having to do, but... I don't think there's anything really you can do to replicate a live arm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't think so. I mean, yeah. Like you said, better than nothing, but a far, yeah. far cry from actually live pitching. Yeah. It's like a- I mean, because we see it every spring how far behind hitters are when they start live pitching, live BP. They look like little leaguers. In <laughs> they there, you suck. Know, it's so two. awesome. Because, <laughs> you know, your arm strength is there that first week. Everything's there. So you're still throwing 90 miles an hour, yeah. but they haven't seen it. Yeah. You get to face a guy like Chipper Jones and beat him with a fastball week one. <laughs> it's awesome. What are the best matchups you ever saw in the live uh, BP? Because the Braves, Bobby used to do it on day one. Day man. one. He'd have live BP. Day one live BP. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you a couple a live swap. BPs, just weird one. Well, Prado was the worst. He raked everybody day one. It didn't matter. I threw him everything I had. I wasn't <laughs> telling him what's coming. He just smoked singles everywhere. I hate Prado. I don't ever want to see that guy in a batter's box again. Um, but one of the craziest years was uh, 2012. That year, um, Gaddis popped onto the scene. Um, yeah. Medlin had a really good year before. Johnny had a really good year before. And I had a really good year before. Um and so we were all coming in pretty cocky and feeling good. And, and for whatever reason, we got lined up against minor league guys. And not not uh-huh. we weren't pitching against the A squad like Chipper and, and B-Mac and Mike Bourne and all those guys that had good seasons before. Um, and we faced Gaddis. Right. And this guy, he'd been playing in Venezuela. So his bat speed, everything was on. That was that year he went off down yeah. there. Yeah. And there's all this hype about him, but we didn't we hadn't really heard it. You know, we'd enjoyed our offseason. This guy gets in the box, and I'm throwing him everything I got, and he's laughing. And just raking it all over the field. He took me deep. He takes Johnny deep. And he took uh, Medlin deep in consecutive, like, live BPs. 
and just destroyed <laughs> I heard about everything that. we hit. And I said, I kind of walked over to him after, and I didn't really know Gaddis yet. I said, who are you, man? Like, who do you think you are hitting us like this? And uh, he didn't know me, so he didn't know I was joking and clowning around about it. And he was kind of like, yeah. he kind of yeah. mugged me back and was like, well, who the hell are you? And I was like, oh, man, this dude's on another yeah. level. But we kind of just stared at each other for a second. I was like, hey, man, I'm kidding. You know I'm kidding, right? And he he was ready to he was ready to stand his ground and fight if we had to. I was like, I don't want any part of White Bear, but that was kind of that was kind of when he opened all our eyes and and that got that story got around camp yeah. and he just destroyed three big leaguers. I mean, it wasn't he had a homer off each of us, but everything else we threw was was barreled too, and his bat speed was just incredible. We were all like, you know, who is this guy? So then we went in the clubhouse. And everybody's talking to him. He sat down in the middle of the weight room and, and had like a 40-person powwow telling his uh, the stories from his voyage uh-huh. just to, you yep. know, he went seeking the, just the meaning of life or whatever and just disappeared off the yep. face of the earth. He just, he captivated the whole uh, clubhouse for like 40 minutes telling the story. Guys were just shaking their heads and laughing and couldn't believe it. But, well, man, if he would have... Somebody who was in that group, one of you guys was was in that group that's where i got wind of yeah that, that day. day yeah no he the first day that, that we had live bps and threw to him from that day forward it was everybody yeah. was talking about white bear every day in camp because yeah he was just such a different human man he was he wasn't playing by the same rules as the rest of us his his voyage he'd been on mentally he came back to baseball he didn't care yeah. if you'd had 30 years in the big leagues he was he didn't yeah. care None of it mattered. None of our rules. Nothing mattered. It was it, everyone kind of tiptoed around him, not wanting to piss him off. But he he was he was in a different world, man. I had had someone tell me the previous winter, there's going to be a guy in camp. You should talk to him. He's really interesting. He lived in his car. He uh, for, he went out west, lived in his car, and all this. I'm going. Who is this? Jack Kerouac. This guy's <laughs> telling me. You know, you want to talk to him. And I'm going. Uh, he'll be. He's going to be in a minor league camp, though. I probably won't. Probably won't see him. No, I think he might be a major league camp. I'm like, oh, okay. What's his name? Okay, I put it in the back of my mind. I didn't really think of it, and I thought the the story the guy told me was too far fetched to believe. <laughs> he had known the guy. His son knew the guy. Played with him in high school or something. That was what yeah. it was. So, the first day you're talking about, one of the players, one of your guys that was in there told me that this Gaddis guy, because I we had heard BP uh, about what had happened in BP, and somebody told me that he told his story to you guys, and I'm like, holy shit! I hope nobody else knows about this because this is the guy the guy was telling me about last yeah. winter. Uh, yeah. So I got him and I said, "Can I talk to you?" And I took him out. It was after, the next day after uh, the workout, and he and after he did his weight work and everything, I took him out of the dugout. And he told me the whole story, and I'm just going, "Oh my god, it's crazy!" I wish I'd been working at the athletic then because I could have. You could have really I wrote told a really it. long story, yeah, but I could have really told it at the athletic. This guy was smoking PCP with some Indian tribe in, in the Rocky Mountains, you know. And the next year, he's hitting homers off of the three legit big leaguers. Man, I mean, it was amazing. His, the journey. His story's wild. A, a, he and his brother were janitors at a place in Houston. Yeah. You know, then he then he was up at the ski lodge, working at the ski resort outside uh, Boulder, and then he got in the, you know his truck, drove it out west, and it broke down, and that's when he had this epiphany that he needed to get back in baseball. <laughs> it was just, well, it was a movie. It was a movie. I, I can't believe there's not been a movie yet made about. Well, this that's guy. what we couldn't believe the ending to the story because it's such a journey that he was on, and then he finally found. I think he was tracking this like you know 
psychic lady or something, some palm reader or yes, something, trying to that's it. trying to find yep. the meaning of life. House. What was wrong with him or something? He finally tracks this lady and, down, and she's like, "Yes, oh, you're good. You're just a little have you have some yeah. anxiety." <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, she, oh. she was like, yeah, you're fine. He's like looking for the meaning of life. And she tells him like, uh, it is what it is. Basically, <laughs> <laughs> you know, There is no great meaning to it. And he was like, like, well, shit, I'm just going to go back and play baseball. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild, man. And the next year he's in the big yeah, leagues. Taos. Two years later, he's in the big yeah. leagues. It's, that's what's so she was incredible. Like some, she was like some new wave lady out there. He found out that he went out and followed her out to Taos, New Mexico. Yeah. That's where he found her. Yeah, he had to, the truck he was but living, he was living in, in. He had to. He had to yeah. sleep on hills. He had to park his truck on a yes. hill so he could pull <laughs> the like e brake and let it roll downhill to start. Yeah. <laughs> and the next year he's in the big leagues. He's like in San Francisco, sleeping on a hill. That's yeah. <laughs> as far as it turned around, came back. And his brother had been trying to get him back. Oh, man, that was a great we, story. We should God, try to get him on story. here. He'd probably tell it. That'd be pretty good. Oh, we should. We should. Great idea. We'll get it. All right. We'll do. He'll do it, man. I think he will, too. He'll do it. We should have thought about that before now. God, that'd be great. Yeah, he'll, now, he'll come with all it. this time. He doesn't care. He'll, he'll tell yeah, the truth. He's been out of, he's been out of baseball. Yeah. for. He didn't play anywhere last he'll year. He'll tell the truth. He might tell the truth about everything. He will. He was there on that Astros team, too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, he's a great dude. All right. Well, so, anyway, where were we? Yeah, replacement players. Yeah, so so they came in. The regular guys had three weeks to get ready for that season. Uh, and they played a 144-game schedule for all teams. No play, teams playing fewer games than others to avoid what had happened in previous times they tried that. And they played a standard playoff format. For that same reason, although it was a new format, because this had been the the advent of divisional play with the uh, with the extra division, three divisions in each league, and a wild card added, that was supposed to take effect in '94, but that postseason was erased. So they started it '95. So coincidentally, it started in that shortened 144 game season. Then they had the the uh, extra round in the playoffs, so that worked out well, but. No teams were crying over, you know, playing fewer games or whatever. Yeah, it's just going to be. I don't. I I can't even make any predictions, man, because this this whole thing. So, you know, like in Seattle, we've been on lockdown for three weeks now, and you look at the beach; it's still packed with people. I, I this thing's just going to keep dragging on to the point where I wonder if, you know, it seems like they're starting to worry about the economy. I heard some quotes yesterday. It's like I don't, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but I can't imagine you could keep doing this if people aren't going to listen. And I don't know if you can put the whole country on lockdown because it's kind of like it's going state by state slowly. You know, we're way ahead of it in Seattle because it was kind of here first. But yep. it's just there's no... It's going to creep to the Midwest, yeah, too. There's just no telling, you know, how long this thing's going to take to play out. But I don't I don't even have a prediction for for what's going to go on this season. It's, it's hard to even by that, imagine. By that same token... Can you? I can't even begin to imagine no season. them starting this thing before no chance before the virus has even begun to be curbed and packing fifty thousand people into a stadium. They can't do that. No, they could play games with no fans. Yeah, at least you're getting your TV revenues. Yeah, I mean, I saw and everybody would watch. I, it'd be weird, but people would watch. I mean, yeah. I saw, oh my god, ratings would be through the roof. Yeah, I saw a UFC fight. Um, with no fans the other day, and it was the most <laughs> awkward thing ever. They still did their walkouts and everything, yeah. but it was just an empty arena. Yeah. It looked like it looked like practice. And I remember when the the Orioles had to play because of riots and stuff. They had to play with an empty stadium a few years back. 
Uh, that was Aussie rules football. They're doing it. Yeah, they showed that the other day. Yeah, but you're still, you know, baseball's yeah. tough because you're licking the your fingers and putting them on the ball. It, everyone's like, oh, you're you're spread out. It's not a contact sport, but everybody touches the ball. And you're all there in a in a, in a small in a, clubhouse. In a tight, well, they're bigger now. Showering, but. and you're in a clubhouse, and you, sh- and the you're you're sharing, you know, towels, clothes, whatever. The virus can be spread so quickly. Yeah, and that's we saw that when the Yankee minor leaguer had it. Then all of a sudden, two more had it. I mean, you're using just using weights. Yeah, you know, unless you're wiping out everything you touch, doorknobs, everything. You know, it's just it's a mess. Yeah. Um. So they played a standard playoff format. That re- that year, uh, in with a new format, ninety five. My my, we talked about this. You and I talked about this this year. If they were to play like a hundred games, even if it was eighty games, I think you need to lay, play at least half a season, you know, to make this right. But I th- I don't I don't think they would even balk at playing eighty's better. Than nothing, 80's man. possible, you know. Eighty's not going to be 100. so. So here's how you could do it too. You could, even if you, here's how you could possibly play a hundred, even if you didn't start till July. You have doubleheaders, obviously. You're gonna have to have doubleheaders. That headers. sucks. You're gonna have to eliminate some of the off days. You're gonna have to eliminate some of those, probably. You could, because you, they're gonna have to redo the schedule anyway. Because otherwise, you're gonna have like a team in your division. You may face like the Braves would have already played the Mets a bunch of times in the first six weeks. So you might end up playing uh, eight in a row the against them. You might end up playing. Uh, yeah, somebody gets still gets 14, 16 games against the Marlins uh, and all their games against the Nationals or the Braves have been almost eliminated. You know, the Braves against the Dodgers and the Braves against uh, uh, the Padres would already be passed if they missed like the first month and a half of the season. Yeah, it'd be impossible to balance so, it out too, competition-wise. Yeah, so you're going to have to balance it out, I think. It's going to take work, but they can do that. They can run that through the computers and they can do the it. The thing about doubleheaders I think you could, that I keep hearing they want to do doubleheaders is the bullpens are going to die because you, you yeah. wind up throwing it, say, 10 a.m., and then you wind up throwing it 2, 2 p.m. for game one, and then you don't get in there, and then game two you get in there, you wind up getting hot three times a day. You know, So you can only do the doubleheader stuff – uh, it's a shorter game, seven innings, and you could the Braves teams like the Braves would be in great shape because they could almost have two sets of, yeah. they could have two closers, yeah. they could have game one and game two closer, and if if this guy gets hot in game one, he's not even getting hot for game two, but exactly really hard to manage a uh, bullpen with a double header multiple times a week. I was going to ask you that about about that though because I think the Braves are one of the yeah teams they're going to be good. It's going to be a really good position because not only do they have better depth this year. All of a sudden, those five outfielders doesn't look like a, a, a glut. It looks like, hey, we're going to need all of them, you know, because you can have Mark Akers play one game, yep. Duvall play the other game, or Inciarte start one game in center, and then Acuna moves over and starts the second game, depending on the matchup. But all of a sudden, you got five legit guys, and you also have Christian Pache knocking on the door. So, And then the depth you have at catcher with Darno joining Flowers, you know, you you all of a sudden have two good catchers. Darno can play the bulk of the games if you know probably if he's hitting, but you just have so much more depth than you had before. If you've got a guy like all of a sudden you need three catchers, this, 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 right? And all of a sudden the 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 uh, yeah, if you're gonna play a lot, you of gotta have three. You uh, but all of a sudden though that uh, that the third base decision is not so bad now because. I think for sure you keep Camargo on the team if you're playing double headers and you're playing more games because he's going to get a legit chance to start 
four or five games a week all of a sudden. Yeah, then you're not worried about Riley sitting even for a day if you bench him. Yeah. He doesn't even sit a day. Yeah. He plays every day, and so does Camargo. That, and that, and that aspect, so that works great for both of them. And then the depth you mentioned in the bullpen. They got the most bullpen depth of anybody in baseball, probably. You, you know, maybe the Yankees. I don't know. You but. could legitimately say Melanson's closing game one. Um, you yep. know, Green's setting up game one. Uh, Smith's closing game two. And Jackson's setting up game two. Or, or however you want to lay out the bullpen. Chris, Martin, Chris yeah. Martin. Put Martin as a setup guy for game two. And whoever doesn't get in there, if they didn't warm up, they're available. But having that depth, and you already talked about shortening games, what that bullpen's going to do. Now you got two less innings to shorten. You could pull your starter in the fourth. I mean, who's got uh, the, the Braves? It really does shape up well no, for it, the Braves. It sets if they're them playing up. more games and doubleheaders. It sets them that up. That bullpen nice. all of a sudden looks. You didn't do it for that reason, but all of a sudden it looks genius having all those guys. <laughs> yeah. You know, nobody else would have nobody would have legit all star closers, multiple legit all star closers. Well, yeah, and you, you'd initially you know? think that it would help teams with weaker bullpens, you know, because there's not as many innings to cover. But it the amount of times guys are going to have to get up and trying to protect your relievers, yeah. having guys that are that are capable. It's it's the depth of guys that are capable that the Braves have. They have six guys that could. In my opinion, pitch the eighth and ninth inning. So now you don't you yes. can you don't have to keep warming up because now it's the sixth and seventh. So now if if you you don't have to keep getting guys ready, um, like if you only got one guy on your team that can close, if you got if like a setup we had with if with Kimbrel closing, Kimbrel's your closer. He's getting up multiple times, you know, every day because if his situation, you know, if you go in the ninth inning tied. And he's pitching the bottom of the the bottom of the ninth. Uh, if you if you if you go ahead on the road, he's got to warm up, and then then the game stays tied. He's got to warm up in the eleventh, and then he's got a close game too. But with the, the the depth the Braves have, I mean, you could just say this is our guy. And then after Smith gets hot like two or three times in game one and doesn't pitch, you just say you're down for you're down for the rest of the day, and and you feel ready um, for game two with with the guys that are left. Oh man, you're right. I, yeah, the way you, when you put it that way, you could have like two sets of guys yeah. lined up for those doubleheaders. You really got to think about and, uh, how much they're throwing. It's a, it's one of the hardest things to do as a manager is, is not wear your guys out in games they don't pitch, and you're looking at having way more games that they don't pitch that they might pitch. And they had already expanded the rosters to 26, but they said that that extra uh, spot could not be used for an extra extra pitcher. But now you obviously waive that, and you can use it for an extra pitcher if you want to when you're playing more games, I think. And if you needed to, you could make it a 27-man roster. I'd too. honestly, doubleheaders, I'd make it 28. Uh, just yeah. doubleheaders, guys not being prepared for the season. Uh, Avoid injury. Yeah, yeah, just it's going to be something. Doubleheaders take it out of you, man. And the other thing where the Braves are obviously going to be helped by this, or it could be, is Hamels. Instead of missing you know, the first month and a half, because we probably – we were thinking they were not going to, the Braves were not going to get him before mid-May, and that was optimistic. Well, all of a sudden, I mean, he's obviously still going to have to pitch in sim games and all that, but if they have a three- or four-week spring training, he can get most of that knocked out then. He might end up only losing, maybe missing a week or two of the season instead of six or eight weeks of the season. So He might not miss any. percentage of games that he, yeah. And then all of a sudden you got depth, you know, with six guys, with Newcomb and, uh, King Felix, you got six starters, which another thing you're going to need six starters if you're playing. If you're eliminating some of those off days and playing doubleheaders, you're going to need six. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, see a guy like Trevor Bauer pitching every three days going four innings. 
you, yeah. you can do some yeah. you could really you could really toy around with it and and yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see i can't wait to see what happens yeah and uh and but, uh, but what, I was, what i was what i was going to mention was on the scheduling and i haven't heard this at all if it's even been considered but to me an easy way to eliminate some off days or travel whatever you could make a lot more four game series instead of you have no two gamers you shouldn't have any two unless it just it does works where you have to have them because but i don't i don't think it does and you could eliminate those altogether and you can make a lot more four game series we have less travel and then you could instead of instead of having like six series or five series between two teams you have four or you have five series instead of six you know you know what i'm saying yeah yeah, you no, could, no two game series and less three game series. It, you could even have a five game series like the minor leaguers have sometimes. You know, where they go up, you know, travel from Gwinnett up to Buffalo and play five games. You could play six games in four days. You know, it, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot, but it, it's just it's coming down to however they want to play it out. Double headers scare me. Doing a lot of double headers just just for player health, but right, um, it, you're gonna have to get creative, and everybody's gonna have to make compromises. And from a player's perspective, if it starts, if it, if you're looking at bottom line, you're looking at dollars in your pocket. Do you think they'll be a lot more amenable to that than they would be, you know, losing, you know, millions of dollars? Yeah, and I don't know how it games? works because I'm not sure if the contract is say you're making a million dollars just to keep it clean, and it's 162 games, you're making what 16 something a game. Right. If all of a sudden that gets cut back, uh, and it's a it's a 10 a 50 game season. All right, now you're making uh-huh. six hundred thousand, right, or five hundred. I don't know the math, but all of a sudden that that prorated amount, right, that prorated amount. If it's sixty game, yeah. All right, I'll play two games a day if I'm getting paid. Yeah, thirty two. It's prorated <laughs> like that. Yeah, you know? I, I, obviously, I, I don't. Obviously, I don't think the union is going to go for prorating it. You know, just like that. But yeah, so maybe something along somewhere between you know full salaries and and uh, prorated. You're a lot more likely to, so, to get the guys to accept double headers if you're paying them like that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but it's going to be interesting. Plus, it would. Plus, they're not doing it for six months. Right. You know. You know what I mean. Yeah. You're not grinding for six months. Yeah. And then the other thing we had discussed off the off the air was, and and I think you agreed with me that this could work is you could have a postseason. And you know you got to do creative things this year, and obviously you're not setting it up for the future. It's not setting a template or anything. But if it works, who knows? But you could have neutral site games. You could easily do this and eliminate the two travel days you have in a series. You know, in a postseason series after the first round, uh, or even in the first round now. But you could eliminate the travel days by playing these neutral site series, and you could also. Take the regular season. The reason you would do it is you could take the regular season well into November, yeah, and have the postseason from November into December by playing neutral site games in warm weather cities or dome cities. And some of those are the same, like Miami, where you have the dome. You could have it open if it's nice out. You know, if it's not raining every day because it's not by then. Yeah, Arizona. But there's about seven or eight of those places. You there's more than enough to to do it. I th- to even have backups. Say you have yeah, because the only thing that players ahead, well, I think the only thing players would would be a little, you know, actually I don't think they'd even care because their off season is going to be cutting into, so they'd want to do it the fastest, quickest way possible. But um, uh-huh. if one team happened to be the host city, so if if you got the the Diamondbacks or something like that, because that'd be one you of the best stadiums to do it, um, you'd need at least two. You'd need two stadiums. You were doing it at, but you 
Right. So you'd have to have you'd have to have a backup. Yeah. Here's because I'm saying the you cannot play in your home ballpark. Got you. So here's what you do in the first two rounds to the World Series. You have the NL playoff games played in AL parks. Oh yeah. AL games. So you eliminate that chance. Yeah. Now and then and then if you still have like the NL, say the Dodgers end up playing in Anaheim, you don't want that to happen either. So you have a backup in each case, and there's enough ballparks where you could do that. Think about all the places, be it Milwaukee with their dome, Toronto with their dome, the warm weather places, Miami, Houston has a dome, Texas has a dome now, Arizona, warm weather, San Diego, Anaheim, L.A. You know there are enough places you can do this now. Yeah, you just you couldn't risk uh, see, yeah. Seattle. You couldn't risk Seattle. playing in a northern state and getting rained out, you know, for five days. So yeah, you'd have to do it right. this you'd way. Have to have a yeah, dome. you'd have to have a dome, and you'd be good. I could see them doing that. You'd have to, get, and you can't risk being snowed out in a northern state. You can't right. play Minnesota. No. Can't have you know a, a, a World Series or ALCS in in uh, late November. That'd be miserable. Much less December. Yeah, Chicago, most places. I mean, it can be freezing cold in Atlanta in December. So anyway, you could do this, and you can eliminate travel days by having the whole series in one place, play a five-game series in five days. Yeah. Fans from the teams in the cities, while it's while it's while you don't get to play the home games, you at least aren't trying to say you want to go on the road and see your team play in a, in a postseason series. A lot of times you don't know where they're playing or, or if they're going to be the home team or not until the last day. So you're in a situation like we are as writers where you're trying to get a block of rooms at the front and the back in case they're the uh, home team. And then the visiting, you have to get ones, or if they're the home team, you got in the middle. You know what I mean? You can, as a fan, just block out five days in that place if it's, if it's obvious where you're going to be playing. If it's yeah. early. And you're not going from city to city or trying to figure out when you're going to go to that town. Are we going to be the home team or the visiting team? So I have to have hotel rooms for three different segments. You just block them out for five nights. So, I mean, it could work. Yeah. I, I bet you fans are going to be. it's easy. Fans are going to be bringing some energy, too, when this is all over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People are going to be and, happy and, to be and, out of the house. It's neutral site. It wouldn't matter. There'd be enough fans. Yeah. You're going to have those ballparks would still be plenty filled. Yeah. Shit, they might have better crowds in Miami for, for like the Yankees are playing down there than they would for the Marlins playing in a postseason series. For sure. That, you know, if it's the, the Yankees go anywhere, the, the stadium sells out. Yeah. A lot of teams are right. like that. A lot of teams but travel like, pretty well. Yeah, the Cardinals, the Cubs, the Braves still travel. We travel, travel pretty well, well, yeah. You know, because TBS – TBS there are the Braves play up in Seattle and they get a big big crowds there, yeah. man. So anyway, it's gonna be interesting, but I think they have to consider things like that, and I'm sure they are, you know. That way you that's the only way you could play into December is to do it like only that. Way. That's the only way it works. Otherwise you you have yeah, you have Minnesota advances to the ALCS. You might get snowed out for two weeks. You know? Yeah. It could be a total disaster. Yeah, you you and then you end up it. moving it somewhere else. So you can't risk it, yeah. So anyway. It's going to be interesting. We'll be here. We're going to keep doing the shows. And uh, like we said, the Braves, I think, are going to be in a unique position of, ha- of actually being well-suited for this thing, better than a lot of teams would be. It's going to be interesting. Oh, hey, real quick, there was a couple questions that we I took from Plucked from Twitter for people that had uh, people had for you. Uh, one was, how have stats like spin rate and launch angle changed the way baseball is coached? Oh, it's... From Obi Hamilton. Obi Hamilton. It's completely changed the game. Um, there's a big war if you ever scroll through baseball Twitter. I mean, there's one going on right now about swinging and hitting, and there's a ton of former players arguing with you know um, people that that never played or, or didn't yeah. play at a high level. 
about spin rate and data and all this stuff saying they've already had it forever or you know there's just there's this war going on, on on how all that stuff matters but i tell you what man a lot of this data and, and new analytical stuff would have been really helpful for me and yeah it, the hard part is people are threatened you know coaches that, that don't understand it and don't want to embrace it or accept that it's going to be a part of the game and it's not going anywhere they're fighting it right and so a lot of those coaches are, are kind of just making themselves just worthless you know because because some guy that understands data and understands how to apply it all is taking his job and and if you look around like Kyle Bodie got hired um, by the Reds and we'll see how that goes I really like Kyle I, I think he's a good baseball mind um, but you're seeing teams hire people with no experience in in pro baseball to really high jobs like uh, the Dodgers hired this yeah. guy Rob Hill um, and I worked at Driveline, and I worked with quite a few of these guys, and it's really weird to see these guys because I'd had conversations with them, and their baseball knowledge, as far as like, you know, game experience and all that stuff, we were kind of speaking different languages. But then we'd speak the data side of it, and they were speaking a language I'd never, I couldn't possibly comprehend the amount and how advanced um, yeah. they were on that. So a lot of people fight that. For me, I think it's really cool, and and I and I'd love to learn all of it. And I think the good coaches. Uh, in baseball are embracing it and they're using their experience and their knowledge of you know in-game experience and and having done it and feel and things like that what it felt like to do it what what it's like mentally and they're uh kind of embracing the new data and they're accepting it and so now you got like the best of both worlds you can kind of be a super coach but if you uh-huh. but the guys that 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 fight it you know they're they're really limiting their abilities and they're losing out to these guys that um really don't know a ton about you know in-game stuff but they're so good at analyzing data and training players and and you know like the the rap set the spin rate and all that stuff um it, when you play catch with a guy maybe 10 years ago his ball would just explode on you and you wouldn't know why playing catch with jj putts was different than playing catch with george Sherrill. and then you'd look at their spin rate and their, the qualities of how the ball left their hand was completely different. Like George would throw 90 miles an hour right by people because he was deceptive and he hid the ball. And there's still no way to really um, analyze deception, I don't think. Some of right, it's extension right, right. And, and release point and stuff. But then J.J. Putt's ball just felt like catching a bowling ball when he threw it to you. And so, you know, 10 years later, I go back and I look at the data because it's on a site um, from when those guys threw and it matches up perfectly. So it's not like this information wasn't available um, with the eye, but untrained eyes can now analyze this data and use it and and predict things with it that um, maybe they couldn't before. So it's it's completely changed how um, guys are, are, you know, selecting what pitches to throw. Um, it's, it's completely changing, um, you know, even they'll eliminate a pitch like Garrett Cole went straight four seamer the last few years when he left the pirates. And that's what turned him into the beast. He was, he always threw a hundred. So it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. It's, it's completely changed things, but the, the teams that are embracing it are getting ahead. It's definitely changed a lot. That's a fun to, and to play off that one of the fundamental things I see being argued now that fight that's going on Twitter and you, you uh, jumped into this people now are, are pitchers are now are being taught and learning to throw, high heat because the launch angle guys are coming with that uppercut swing and the high heat is make they're totally susceptible to it right and you never would have done that before well and that was that's kind of my theory on it because as a pitcher growing up uh minor leagues even in even in the big leagues anytime i threw a strike high in the zone it was a bad thing 
you never had a high target in the zone. If a catcher called a fastball up, it was to it was a chase pitch. You wanted it above the strike zone. But say, I think last season at some point, I saw a catcher call a 2-0 fastball up. I've never seen that in my life. And and the thing is that makes it different because everybody talks about, you know, like Max Freed pitches up in the zone well, but Max throws off his curveball. He's not he's not dotting up in the zone. He's not hitting the corners. He's playing off his four-seam ride. And he throws his curveball off that same slot so that he's making that appear as a strike. But it's never a strike. They chase it. Uh, sometimes he leaves it up in the zone and still gets a swing and miss because he's got such good life on his ball. But what I'm talking about is a 2-0 fastball trying to hit the glove. Yeah. It never happens where you have to throw a strike. And I'm really curious. You know, I think that's it's almost like pitchers had neglected that pitch for so long that all the guys that are doing the, the launching, launch angle and trying to hit fly balls... Uh, they're calling our bluff that we can't control the top of the zone. And and every pitcher's trained to throw to the bottom of the zone. Uh, so it works out in their favor that everything's down there where their swing is. Um, if you start seeing catchers set up up in the zone on the corners and umps will call it a strike, because that's, that's the other hard part about it, you could see a complete, like, just 180 in uh-huh. pitching philosophy for a few years until hitters start swinging, you know, kind of down on the ball or trying to hit – uh, down through the ball and line drives again. So it's it's just been a completely different. Uh, it's 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 weird to to watch the game evolve like that. But it's always cat and mouse. And the another question I had was, what if the baseball season were to start by May 29th when Atlanta is supposed to play at Seattle? Now, obviously, I think they're going to rework the schedule, so I don't think that date will hold. But question was, does Eric throw a party if uh, if uh, the Braves are starting at Seattle? On May 29th. You can come over. You can come over and get a buzz on the back deck with me. Uh, I don't know if too many Braves players are going to be busy. But I, want, I wanted to ask you, related to that, uh, how loud will the applause be if King Felix is on the team, he's with the Braves and pitches in that series, or even if they just show him on the video board, when they, with I'm sure they'll have some kind of video tribute to him. Will it be polite applause, notably loud applause, or thunderous applause? Thunderous. Yeah, he, yeah he, so. so if he even pops his head out of the dugout, it's going to be a standing ovation. Yeah, uh, I would try to, and he will. If he was on my team, I'd try to line up to let him pitch because that'd be really cool to watch. Yeah, uh, it's going to hurt Mariners fans to see him in another uniform, but um, he's a legend here, man. I I remember I went to the gym to sign up one day, and the lady couldn't even. I he'd asked me where I was working out, so I took him to the gym I was going to to, to help him sign up, and the lady couldn't even talk. Serious. I mean, he's because you got to understand that the Seahawks weren't that good for a while uh, and the Mariners weren't doing well. But Felix was like the only major athlete in the city because we lost the Sonics. So Felix was a god here for for a good five, six year span and and putting up the numbers he was. He had King's Court. Uh, He's a everybody in the city loves him. And and he's pretty cool when he's out. He's not a he's not a dick to people. Um, So I I would expect a standing ovation anytime he's even mentioned or seen. Yeah, you didn't have Zorn anymore. Uh, Gary the Glove, Peyton, and Sean Rayman. They're Kent gone. Long gone. No. <laughs> yeah, and, and the Seahawks <laughs> hadn't gotten to where they're at now. Uh, now it's it's all right, Seahawks, right. and I think that's got to kill the Mariners yeah. to just because they're right across the street selling out and and having yeah. having yeah. a good time, and the whole city wears their jerseys every Friday, and nobody yeah. seems to care about the Mariners. That's that's kind of the downside of the re- one of the downsides of rebuilding. But Felix never lost his thunder around here. 
well, if the Sonics go back there, if they have another team there, an NBA team, it'll be huge. That's a that's criminal that there's no basketball team in Seattle. That's a great basketball market. Man, if if they it it would sell out. I mean, tickets would sell out in yeah. an hour. But if they put it yeah. if they put a stadium in the right spot, it'd be crazy. And they got to call them the Sonics too. There's no reason not to because the oh, they changed their name when they went to Oklahoma City anyway. They're the Sonics. There's yeah, no debate. Got to be Supersonics. I could haul out my Supersonics gear, man, which I wear anyway. Anyway, all right. Hey, we'll be back next week. Uh, I think we're going to do one show this week, but that could change, obviously, if there's more developments. But we uh, appreciate you guys listening, and we'll keep doing this as long as this, uh, well, we're going to keep doing it, period, whether the lockout ends or, or lockout. <laughs> whether the, whether the, the, I guess it's a uh, lockdown. Coronavirus, coronavirus lockdown. Yeah, it's a lockdown. When it when and when and if it ends, and uh, so stay tuned, and we'll we'll keep. Uh, I'm glad we had that discussion because Gaddis, we got to get him on the show, man. Let's get him, Evan Gaddis. The bat signal is out to you, my man. <laughs> He's coming. I got him. I, I got his text. We'll do it if, if he has a text. phone. Still. Right. <laughs> That's true. You might have to borrow a phone from somebody. Might have to send smoke signals. <laughs> We might have to send somebody out on a horse to get him out on a ranch and tell him you're wanted. All right. All right. We'll be back next week. Thanks for this 755 is real. We're out. Mm